Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. Apologies for publishing this episode a bit late. I felt really ill on Tuesday, and I wasn't going to publish this episode at all, but I feel a bit better today, which is Wednesday. I have two parts for you today. In part one, we'll review our draw to Cagliari on Monday. And in part two, we'll quickly preview the return leg of our Europa League tie with Barcelona. So let's begin with the Cagliari match. As I'm sure you're aware, it finished 1-1 on goals from Gaston Pereiro and Victor Osimen. This was, without a doubt, our worst performance of the season. We were really quite fortunate to walk away with a point here. I think this match easily could have ended 4 or 5 to 1 for Cagliari had they not been so poor at finishing and had Ospina not come up with some pretty big saves. Now, there are a number of reasons why the match went the way it did and we could point the finger in a number of different directions, but for me this result falls squarely on the shoulders of Luciano Spalletti. I think he got his tactical setup completely wrong. Even though after the match he said Cagliari played the way he expected them to, I don't really buy that. However, I think Cagliari's play was largely a consequence of our setup, so those two reasons are somewhat related. And though I think he got his substitutions right, I believe they were too late. Again, as Spalletti confirmed after the match, his hands were somewhat tied in that regard. Now, there are two ways you can look at this outcome in conjunction with all the other results around the league, depending on whether you're a glass-half-empty kind of person or a glass-half-full kind of person. For the pessimists, you're definitely looking at this as a missed opportunity to move top of the table. In fact, it's consecutive missed opportunities after the draw to Inter. 
All of our direct rivals at the top of the table dropped points. Milan had to come from behind to draw bottom of the table Salernitana. Inter lost to what was on the day a very good Sassuolo side. Inter really missed Marcelo Brozovic in that match. Juve drew Torino in the Derby della Mole on Friday and Atalanta lost to Fiorentina in the early game on Sunday. Atalanta are really struggling to find goals without Duvan Zapata. Meanwhile, Christoph Piontek has now scored five goals since returning to Italy, two in Serie A and three in the Coppa Italia. If that's not enough, both Lazio and Roma dropped points as well. They drew Udinese and Hellas Verona respectively. So the optimist will say that we didn't lose ground to anyone, both in the race for the Scudetto and with respect to Champions League qualification. In fact, we gained ground on Inted, who would still be top of the table if they win their game in hand, but the gap would be only 3 points instead of 4. In reality, that doesn't change a whole lot because Inter have the head-to-head -head advantage over us, which means we still need them to lose one more match than us and draw one more match than us. Of course, we also have Milan above us in the table, but we still have to play against Milan, so that will be another must-win game. In the race for Champions League, we added a point between us and Atalanta, so even if they win their game in hand, both Atalanta and Juve would be 7 points behind us for Champions League qualification. We also have to play Atalanta as well. That game is in early April, and it will be another massive match. We'll cover all of that in this review, and we'll revisit our three keys to the match, but first, let's review the starting lineups. Cagliari lined up in a 3-5-2 formation with Alessio Cragno in goal. A lot of the players that were questionable for this match ended up getting into the squad. Eduardo Goldaniga, Matteo Lovato, and Giorgio Altada started at centre-back. Matteo Lovato had an excellent match for Cagliari. Dalbert started at left wing back and Raul Bellanova played at right wing back. Alberto Grassi played in the center of the midfield with Daniele Bazzelli to his left and Alessandro Deola to his right. And finally, João Pedro and Gaston Pereiro played together up top. For Napoli, Luciano Spalletti made a number of changes to the squad that he fielded against Barcelona midweek. After my little rant last episode about why it doesn't make sense to change formation, Spalletti made me eat my words and changed formation. With so many players missing, he lined up in a 3-4-2-1 for the first time this season with David Ospina returning to start in goal over Alex Meret. We used a back three of Juan Jesus, Kalidou Koulibaly, and Amir Rachmani. With Stanislav Lobotka and Andre Frank Zambo and Gisa both hurt, Diego Demis started in the double pivot. Fabian Ruiz was in the squad but did not start, so Piotr Zielinski dropped to play in the double pivot with Demme. Mario Rui and Giovanni Di Lorenzo shifted up to play on the left side of the midfield, essentially as wingbacks in the four-man midfield. Dries Mertens and Elif Elmas played as the two trequartisti. So those were the starting lineups. Before we revisit our three keys to the match, I want to go straight to the reasons why we drew this match. As I mentioned, I think there are a number of reasons, but most of all, this is on Luciano Spalletti. I think he got a little too cute with this 3-4-2-1 formation, which was obviously dictated by the number of injuries we had. We were missing three wingers in Lorenzo Insigne, Chucky Lozano, and Matteo Politano, and we were missing two holding midfielders in Anguisa and Lobotka. However, in my opinion, we could have still lined up in a 4-2-3-1. We could have played Koulibaly and Rachmani at centre-back, Mario Rui at left-back and Giovanni Di Lorenzo at right-back, Diego Demme and Piotr Zielinski in the double pivot, Elmas on the left wing, Unas on the right wing, Mertens in the 10, and Patania at striker. I think it says a lot about Unas that even without three wingers, he still could not get into the starting 11. Now, it could be that we're taking it slowly with Unas because of the heart concern that he had in January, but if we really needed to, we could have played Malqui on the right wing as well. Obviously, everything would have changed once Di Lorenzo got hurt. 
At that point, we'd either have to bring on Zanoli to play at right back or drop Malqui back to right back, then either bring on Unas or switch formation at that point. But the reason I'm harping on this is because the 3-4-2-1 failed miserably and it failed in all parts of the park. Normally when we defend, we press with the 9 and the 10, which is usually Osiman and Zielinski, and the wingers cover the wings. In the 3-4-2-1, we had only three players to press. One is Petania, who's slow, and another is Mertens, who's slow. Elmas was the only one who could actually press, but the press only works when everyone does it together. As a result, Caliti had plenty of time and space to play the ball out of the back. Now, in theory, if the wingbacks pushed forward, we'd be able to press with five players, but they didn't. That's what happens when you play a formation you've never used before. That's also what happens when you play with fullbacks as wingbacks. They're naturally going to play deeper than they should. Then at the other end, we really struggled to deal with Caliotti's press, just like we did against Barcelona. They were feeding off the energy of their home crowd. It seemed like the Unipol Domus was a lot closer to 100% capacity than the 75% capacity that is currently permitted. But again, with three up top, we had fewer people in the midfield, which means fewer options to play the ball out to. Again, we had fullbacks playing on the wings as opposed to wingers, and that also makes it more difficult to play out of the back. Instead, we were often forced to boot the ball long, which is fine when you have someone like Victor Osman up top that can chase those balls down. It's not so fine when you have Andrea Petania up there. He cannot chase the ball down, so those long balls were basically played straight back to Caliotti. I feel like I say this every time Petania plays, but we never seem to use him the right way. Petania is not a player you want running after long balls. He's the type of player you want to cross the ball to in the area, and our service in this match was pretty terrible. We played a decent ball to him early in the match, and that led directly to a chance for Di Lorenzo, but he put his shot over the bar. Other than that, we didn't play a single quality cross to Petania in the area. Spalletti said the same thing in his post-match conference. Now, Spalletti did eventually change back to the 4-2-3-1 when he made the three changes in the second half. In fact, he lined up nearly exactly how I described earlier. We replaced Juan Jesus with Fabian, Petania with Unas, and Deme with Osimen. Mario Rui and Kevin Malqui dropped to their usual positions at fullback. Fabian played in the double pivot with Zielinski. Elmas played on the left wing, Unas played on the right wing, Mertens played in the 10, and Osman played up top. I thought we immediately looked better playing in a more familiar system, which of course led people to question why we waited until the 67th minute to make those changes. I was amongst them until I heard Spalletti speak after the match. He said the team doctors did not want Osiman and Fabian to play at all, so he was fortunate to get 20 minutes out of them because they easily could have stayed at home. That's another reason we can point to for this performance. We played midweek against Barcelona, while Cagliari had a full week to prepare, and both Osiman and Fabian were not available for this match as a direct consequence of playing in the Barcelona match. I'm going to come back to that in part 2 because unfortunately we're reminded of the debate we had last season regarding competing in multiple competitions. Now, you could say that what we tried to do in the first half clearly did not work, so Spalletti had to do something. But when you look at the bench, knowing Osimhen and Fabian could only give you 20 minutes, there wasn't much Spalletti could do as far as substitutions go. All he had left was Gulam and Zanoli, who ended up replacing Malqui after he picked up a calf injury. Perhaps Spalletti could have switched to a 4-3-3 by moving Mario Rui into the midfield. That is something we've seen before, particularly when we have this many injuries. Then you play Almas and Mertens on the wings. But given the Fabian and Osimhen situations, and given how the first half went... I wonder if Spalletti's plan changed as the match went on. What I mean is, 
I wonder if the plan became to hold on until the midway point of the second half, then make the three changes and try to snatch the three points late. That could only happen if you don't have a Papara like Ospina did. Now, it's hard to be critical of him because he has been very good all season. He also made some really big saves. Just before we scored, he made two big saves on Razvan Marin. First, he stopped him on the counterattack after Zanoli slipped around midfield. Then he stopped him on the direct corner kick, which the goal line technology showed that he just barely kept the ball out. So we can point the finger at Ospina, but I think he atoned for the error on the goal. We could also point the finger at our back line because they had arguably their worst game of the season, and we were extremely fortunate that Caliari didn't take their chances. João Pedro nearly scored in the first half after Koulibaly played the ball straight to Grassi in the midfield. I mentioned that Marin chance that started with Zanoli slipping. Deola had two great chances to score. First, he had a free shot in front of the goal and he completely mishit the ball. Then he had the header straight at Ospina. If he puts that header anywhere on the left half of the goal, he scores, but he had the ball straight at the keeper. And then Bazelli had a great chance on the rebound. All he had to do was keep the ball down, and he couldn't do that either. So I think we can consider ourselves lucky to walk away from this match with a draw. I think I've pretty much covered our three keys to the match already, but let me quickly run through them. Our first key to the match was that we had to play smart against Cagliari's low block and counterattack. I'm going to call this one a push simply because Cagliari didn't actually play a low block. I focused entirely on Napoli in this review, but we should also give Cagliari some credit. They've now picked up 12 out of a possible 21 points in 2022. They have the 5th best record in Serie A since the start of the calendar year. They're definitely not playing like a relegation bound club. In my preview, we talked about how big of a rivalry this is for Cagliari. You definitely got the sense that this match meant more to them than any other match. There were even some altercations between both the local fans and the traveling ultras and the police after the match. Our second key to the match was that we needed to stop João Pedro, Gaston Pereiro, and Leonardo Pavoletti. I'm going to call this one a push as well. João Pedro had his chances, but he didn't score. And even though Pereiro did score, it was the result of poor goalkeeping from Ospina. My final key to the match was that we needed to play for the full 90 minutes, and I'm going to call this one a push as well. You could argue that we didn't actually play for most of the match. We certainly got outplayed by Cagliari, but my concern was Cagliari's goal-scoring record of late in the final quarter of the match, and instead we were the ones to score the late goal. So we pushed on all three of our keys to the match. You could even argue that we failed on one or two of them, which is all consistent with a poorly played 1-1 draw. The last quick comment I want to make on this match is thank god we have Victor Osimhen. He showed once again how valuable he is to this team even if he only plays for 20 minutes. The man is absolutely fearless. That's now the second goal he scored from a header since he literally broke his face. He may be a little erratic sometimes but you absolutely cannot question his heart and his desire to win. And by the way, I absolutely hate these comparisons online between Viktor Osimhen and Dusan Vlahovic. We need to all just accept that these are two very talented young players. There's no need to compare them. We should all just consider ourselves lucky that they're both playing in Serie A. Also, shout out to Mario Rui. We love to hate on him, but he's actually been very good this season. He played a great ball to Osimhen on the goal. He nearly scored a goal himself. And love him or hate him when he's on the field he plays his heart out. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll preview our match on Thursday against Barcelona.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to part two of the Fortsonopoly podcast. Next, let's quickly preview our match against Barcelona on Thursday. This is, of course, the return fixture, which will be played in Napoli after the first meeting at the Camp Nou in Barcelona finished 1-1. Since the first meeting, stadium capacity in Italy increased to 75%, so the Maradona is expected to have somewhere between 40,000 and 45,000 people in attendance. That will be the biggest crowd that we've had at the Maradona this season. Hopefully that provides the team with some extra energy because they are going to need it. As I talked about in part 1, we're coming off a difficult match against Cagliari that exhausted our resources. Meanwhile, Barcelona are coming off of a very comfortable victory over Valencia. I watched that match and to be perfectly honest, I don't think they played as well as the scoreline might suggest. Nevertheless, Barca were able to rest a lot of players that started against us in the first meeting. Oscar Minguesa, Pedri, Nico Gonzalez, Adama Traora, and Luke de Jong all came off the bench in that match. Even the players that started that match were able to take it easy since they went into the break up 3-0. And even if they didn't play as well as the scoreline suggested, we can't deny that Barcelona come into this match in their best form of the season. Barcelona have only lost one match in the league since Xavi took over as manager. That was a 1-0 loss to Real Betis. Otherwise, Barcelona have 7 wins and 4 draws. I don't think it's a surprise that Barcelona's play has improved after they brought in recruitments in the winter. Adama Traore picked up an assist in each of his first two matches for Barcelona. He didn't play against Valencia at the weekend, though Usman Dembele started in his place. He missed most of the first half of the season due to injury, and his issues with the club have been well documented. But he kept himself in shape, and Xavi hasn't been shy to use him. He played well in the first leg, and as a result, he earned himself a start against Valencia. He played really well in that match as well. He made a fantastic run and pass to assist on Frankie de Jong's goal at the weekend. Even though he's more than likely still going to leave Barcelona at the end of the season, we're now starting to hear whispers that he could actually stay. So all of a sudden, Barcelona have a very strong 1-2 punch on the right wing. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang also made his presence known in that Valencia match. He scored his first, second, and third goals for Barcelona against Valencia. In reality, he only scored two goals. The third was really Pedri's goal that took a slight deflection off of Aubameyang, but he was still credited with the goal. With that goal, he became the first player ever to score a hat-trick in Liga, the Bundesliga, La Liga, and the English Premier League. The third goal may have been a gift, but the first two were definitely well-earned. On the first, he received the ball over the top really well and smashed his shot towards the near post. Shout out to Jordi Alba, who played an absolutely gorgeous long ball to Aubameyang on that play. He also played a great ball on the Frankie de Jong goal. Aubameyang timed his run to perfection on Barcelona's second goal, but what was scary about that goal was the movement and quick passing. This was a vintage Barcelona tiki-taka goal which is a sign that they are growing in confidence. 
it's also an indication that the new players are developing chemistry with their new teammates. Finally, Ferran Torres has looked good for Barca as well. He also has two assists in the league, plus the goal that he scored against us from the spot. Moreover, he's a versatile player that can be used both on the wing and in the number 9. To make matters worse, Xavi will get Ronald Araujo back for this match, so Barcelona should have plenty of depth. The same cannot be said for Napoli, but we will have more players for Barcelona than we did for Cagliari. Both Lorenzo Insigne and Matteo Politano completed the full group training this week, and Victor Osimhen and Fabian Ruiz have had a few more days to recover from their respective ailments, meaning they will all be available from the first minute. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. For Barcelona, Xavi will line up in a 4-3-3 with Marc-Andre Ter Stegen in goal. I think we'll see Araujo and Gerard Piquet at centre-back. Jordi Alba should start at left-back again, and though we saw Mingetha play at right-back in the first leg, he also started at right-back against Valencia, so I'm expecting Serginho Dest to start at right-back in this one. For the same reason, I think we're going to see some changes to the midfield as well. I think we'll see Sergio Busquets start at the Regista. PK and Busquets will provide some much-needed experience to play in a hostile environment. I think Busquets will play behind Barca's two starlets in Gavi and Pedri. That will give them a nice balance of strength, pace, and skill in the midfield. Finally, I think we'll see the exact same front three that we saw in the first leg, which is Ferran Torres on the left, Adama Traore on the right, and Aubameyang at striker. For Napoli, I think we're going to see a more attack-minded approach than we saw in the first leg. I also think we'll go back to the 4-2-3-1 now that we've recovered some players. Alex Meret is our Europa League keeper, so he will start in goal. Kalidou Koulibaly and Amir Rachmani should start again at centre-back. When I talk about Napoli being more attack-minded, what I really mean is that Mario Rui will start at left-back over Juan Jesus. I'll explain why when we get to our three keys to the match. Giovanni Di Lorenzo seems fit to start at right back despite leaving the Cagliari match with what appeared to be a concussion. If he's not fit to play, then we either have to go back to a back three or play Alessandro Zanoli at right back. That's because Kevin Malqui will be out for two to three weeks with a calf injury. My preference is a back four with Zanoli. I think we'll see Diego Demme and Fabian Ruiz in the double pivot, but if Fabian is not fit to start, then I think we'll see Zielinski drop like we saw against Cagliari. Spalletti confirmed in his pre-match conference that Lorenzo Insigne will start from the first minute, so he will play on the left wing. As I mentioned, Matteo Politano is back to full fitness as well. Now, I think under normal circumstances, Politano still wouldn't start this match, but circumstances are not normal at the moment. Spalletti made it quite clear at the weekend that he does not have the confidence to play Unas from the first minute, so I still think Politano will start. If Fabian starts in the double pivot, then Zielinski will start in the number 10. Otherwise, I think Elif Elmas will start in the 10. Finally, Victor Osman will play as the number 9. So those are the starting lineups. Next, let's get to our three keys to the match. My first key to the match is that we need to impose our game on Barcelona. That's something we did not do in the first meeting, though I think that was largely by design. We were happy with the draw in the first leg, so we defended the lead and got peppered with shots. I'm not expecting the same approach in this leg. I think we are going to try to control the tempo of the match and look to maintain possession. It will be interesting to see how that plays out though, because Barcelona want to do the exact same thing. Xavi confirmed as much in his pre-match conference. 
And that brings me to my second key to the match, which is that we need to win the battle in the midfield. That is what I am concerned the most about in this match. Barcelona have some of the best attacking midfielders in the world in Pedri and Gavi. Meanwhile, we are down to our third holding midfielder in Diego Demme. If Fabian Ruiz can't start and we have to play Zielinski in the pivot, then we are going to be grossly mismatched in the midfield. Zielinski is a fantastic player, but he isn't exactly the best in the defensive phase of the game. Even if Fabian does start, I think we're going to need more out of Demme than we saw against Cagliari, and I think he can give more. I don't want to judge him too harshly solely on that performance against Cagliari, because that was his first start in about a month. Now, the reason this key to the match is related to the first key is because sometimes the best defense is a strong attack. The best way to stop Gavi and Pedri is to keep the ball away from their feet, so if we impose our game and keep the ball, those two players will be less effective. Our ability to keep the ball will largely depend on our ability to play out of the press, which we should expect again from Barcelona. We saw at the weekend how important Fabian is to playing out of the back. Fortunately, with Osman back in the starting 11, we should have a much better press than we did against Cagliari. My final key to the match is we need to free Insigne. If you recall, Insigne spent a lot of time in the first leg helping to defend Traore. That made sense in the first leg because we were clearly playing for a draw. It doesn't make sense in the second leg because we are playing for a win. Not just that, we want to win this match in 90 minutes. Both managers said as much in their conferences. The last thing we need is to be playing bonus football this late into the calendar. But this is why I think Mario Rui will start at left back. He's better able to keep up with Traore than Juan Jesus. Jesus played the full 90 in the first leg and he played 67 minutes against Cagliari, so I question whether he could even start a third match in a week. If Mario Rui starts, he's going to need some protection from Koulibaly, which we know Koulibaly is more than capable of providing. That will allow Insigne to get forward in the attack, and I think that could be a key matchup in this game, Insigne versus Dest. Dest is a developing talent, but he has his ups and downs. The only reason he potentially starts this match is because Dani Alves wasn't included in the Europa League squad list. We saw Mingueza in the first leg, but he was largely at fault for the lone goal that Barcelona conceded to Valencia at the weekend, so I think Dest will get the start. That's also why I think Araujo will start, because he will provide a safety net for Dest. I know some people are not happy with Insigne's decision to go to Toronto FC and how that whole situation was handled, but it's hard to deny that we are better with him in the squad than without him, especially with Lozano injured. Unfortunately, I don't think that's going to be enough. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 2-1 Barcelona victory. I'll give our goal to Osman, and I'll give the Barcelona goals to Aubameyang and Ferran Torres. I'm going against history with this prediction. Barcelona have only won one of their last 11 knockout games away from home. Meanwhile, Napoli have not lost a home match against a Spanish club in five years. Our last home defeat to a Spanish club was in the 2016-17 Champions League round of 16. Real Madrid beat us 3-1 on goals from Sergio Ramos, Adriz Mertens' own goal, and Alvaro Morata in stoppage time. Merton scored the lone goal for us, assisted by Matic Hamsik. I just cannot get over the mismatch in the midfield though, and that's where most matches are won and lost. Now, what I'm about to say might offend some people, but as far as I'm concerned, this is a win-win match for us. Either we win the game and advance to the round of 16, 
or we lose this match and can focus squarely on finishing in the top four of Serie A and hopefully even winning the Scudetto. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying I want to lose this match. I never want to lose any match and neither does the team. That's why Spalletti started Osimhen and Fabian in the first leg, even though he knew that likely meant not playing Victor against Cagliari. He made a calculated risk there, knowing that we ought to have still beaten Cagliari even if Victor didn't start. But what I am saying is that going out of the Europa League, as much as it would suck, could be a blessing in disguise. Now, I'll fully admit that I've changed my position on this earlier in the season. I confidently declared that, unlike last season, this season we could actually compete on both fronts, but that was premised on having a healthy squad, and unfortunately that is no longer the case. I just think that competing for two competitions could result in us winning neither of them. Now, I tweeted that and some people responded that we could compete for only one and still not win anything. That's true, but what I'm basically saying is I'd rather only compete on one front because that improves our odds of winning that competition. Of course, it does not guarantee anything. We are currently plus 450 to win the Scudetto, while we are plus 1200 to win the Europa League. That's because there are still some very, very strong clubs left in the competition. Sevilla, Atalanta, West Ham, Dortmund, Betis, Leipzig, Leverkusen, Lyon, Porto, the list goes on. It's not like if we beat Barcelona, we are just going to coast to the final. Meanwhile, our next two matches in Serie A are against Lazio and Milan. If we don't manage our squad properly, we could easily lose both of those matches, and if we do, our 7-point lead over Juve and Atalanta could very quickly become a 1-point lead. Then we're in complete meltdown mode, and the conversation is about whether we finish in the top 4 or not, and that is not a conversation I want to be having. So that will do for this preview, I hope you enjoy the match. That will also do for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please share it with a friend and leave us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forza Napoli Pod. I'll be back soon to review the Barcelona match and to preview the Lazio one. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre. Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.